Yeah. We are live, y'all know. Y'all can go to the Mahogany Project page and for the watch party and all of those beautiful things. Make sure you manage your watch parties so that we can engage with the people. All you beautiful people out there, if you can hear me, clap once. Engage with the people. People out there, if you can hear me, clap once. Engage with the people. See? It don't have a lag, do it? Yeah, well, you watch it because we're screaming it through. Something, but when you download it and we upload it, like you know, you want to do it, okay? Everything will be, you know, great. And if you're Austin Power fans, it'll be groovy, baby. Uh-uh, y'all quiet today. I'm trying to shit. I'm trying to, to get people in the uh in the room. We can't I mean we can have a conversation with nobody here. I mean, but it, it helps if we have people who, you know, somebody might need to hear this. <laughs> somebody, somebody might need to just let their heart break. Somebody might need to heal sweet heart how's your heart today. Beloved, how are you? <laughs> Take a moment and breathe. Inhale. Exhale. Exhale it real slowly. Focus on the sound of my breath. Listen, I'm sorry, backwards. I was focused on the sound of my breath. Listen, on the sound of my voice. Um, you know, but seriously, somebody might need to hear what we're talking about today. Take a moment and breathe. Inhale. Exhale. Yeah, exhale it real slowly. Even though there was more, even though tight, there was what's up, tight, what's up, Fred? Even though there was a key, was a little fun. I'm gonna from the Mahogany Project page, just in case I know people be on there watching and seeing and doing. Are you on the Mahogany Project page? Mm -hmm. Okay, well then, well then I go to my own page. Adonis, you actually good for something. But hey, everybody! I know Joel is the is the main host for today, so let me not let me let me stay in my place. Let me stay in my life. I, well, I mean, it's a, it's a group collaborative effort. Let me let me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not drinking today because I didn't have enough time to go get my little wine together. You want to go ready to get your wine together? We could like. We can we can start it off. We, we can check in with we the can, people. You know, we can rotate because I'm pretty sure Don's want to fix a trick too. So I cannot steal Ramadan. Oh, I wish. I only got. Oh no! I forgot about that. I asked him from anything. But <laughs> <laughs> really, so I got a roast in the oven right now. Oh my! Is it swine <laughs> or is it beef? Why do you always ask me <laughs> that? Because it's a beer. Hey, you get the same answer every I know. time. Uh um yes. When I get to break my fast. <laughs> oh, I gotta check my app. What's up, Byron? Shout out. 
All right. Well, I guess I we can we can get started without my wine. I won't be a lush today. Yeah, mm-hmm. come on ahead. I mean, if the conversation could get good and you know you need to run off and you know do your thing, just let us know. We'll keep it going. I already know at what point I'm gonna go get my wine. So okay, well that's what I'm being sus. That's when we talk about that raggedy motherfucker, but we'll get into that. Cheers. But come on. But <laughs> hello everybody. Welcome to the third episode of In Living Colors. I am your host, Joelle, aka your man or your woman's first choice. Hi. Hey, I'm o- I'm open for everybody. <laughs> equal opportunity, huh? Period. Hey, it's equal opportunity in 2020. Hey. Still giving what you need during the quarantine. Mm-hmm. So y'all want to go introductions? And I'm Marnina the Queen. I'm Adonis Doraline. Same dude of the lame dude, but the main dude. And I'm just simply Brandis McFarlane. That's <laughs> 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 I'm really, I saw today. <laughs> nah, I'm be fierce, you know. Found the executive director of the Mahogany Project. And like I said, I'm just here with the rest of the gang giving you what you need to keep you doing the quarantine. Pause. And there it is. Well, we want to thank you all for tuning in on this latest episode of In Living Colors. We apologize for the delay. We were having technical difficulties last week, but we have an amazing show for you that is very packed. So before we start with the topic, zone, but it's not here, neither here nor there. Go ahead. <laughs> before we get into topics, um, we can get into announcements. Does anybody have any announcements? Let's see what is going on. I mean, slowly but surely, it seems as if thought well, we're still in phase one of reopening the city. So I'm trying to see what is really going on. Oh, definitely. Well, let me pull up locations. They're providing free COVID testing. Let me see. Let me give you locations. But if you need condoms, you can reach out to us doing the Mahogany Project page on Facebook or Instagram, and we can get you free condoms. We have male condoms, female condoms. We have some lube. Um, And if you also need to get testing or um, HRTs or you want to get um, your antiretroviral medicines um, mailed to you, so so you won't have to go to the pharmacies and things like that of the nature's um, inbox me. I can connect you with some people who can help you out with some of those things too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, y'all jumped on the rental assistance. The Houston, the city of Houston gave away fifteen million dollars today in rental assistance to folks. So hopefully, you guys jumped on that. That was at HoustonRentalAssistance.org, and it was given through an organization that's here in Houston. So hopefully, y'all jumped on that rental assistance. Come on. Talk about it, please. And you, oh, and you can also go to the city of Houston's health department to find out the locations because they shift from um, whatever community center is near um, your neighborhood and your location. They, they, I want to say they go every other day to different ones and they offer them free testing, COVID testing. So please, COVID nineteen testing. So please, if you are in need of that or you just want to check, I say look that information up on the city of Houston's website as well as Harris County's. And they will provide their location to you. You pulling it up? So no, I just came across that on 
Thursday, the Houston Health Department will host two virtual job fairs this week to increase the workforce to monitor the containment of COVID-19. And this will be a virtual, a virtual job fair. Um, it will take place on Thursday, May 14th from 11 a.m. until 1 p.m. And you can go to www.houstontext.gov um, to find out more about this um, opportunity. There you go. Okay. And also, you can if you are looking for mental health services, you can con uh, text the word "connect" to seven four one seven four one, and it'll connect you to a local mental health service. Boom. And also, if you're not following our page, definitely follow us for many resources, both related and non-related to COVID nineteen, mental health services, um, HIV prevention sexual, anything, you can follow us at The Mahogany Project, Inc. on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter, and definitely visit our website as well for different resources. So, shout out to Kim and Kristen. Thank y'all for watching. Hello, Marie. Hello, hello, hello. Y'all want to give any more shout outs before we get started? <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't see who's on The Mahogany Project page. Darian Banner, stay watching. Thank you for watching all the way from Atlanta. Oh, uh, that's all we got, sis. I think Adonis. Hey, shout out. What's up? Thank you. Adonis is keeping up with the Mahogany Project page. So we good, sis. Okay. So the topic today is stigma. Actually, our topic for the month of May for the Mahogany Project is stigma. Um, we're actually going to tackle first mental health and structural, uh, structural stigma which was actually mentioned on our Tuesday series, Tell Us How You Feel, hosted by Darian. Um, Marnina was on that too. That you know, I was just about to say, Marnina, do you want to actually give your definition of structural stigma? So structural stigma is a multi-layered stigma that impacts the opportunities, resources, and the overall being of those that are being stigmatized. So basically in layman's terms, Structural stigma could be anything from mass incarceration that can include homophobia. It's a multi-layer stigma that will impact a minority group of people. So anything that impacts folks in a certain area upon a certain thing that they are being stigmatized for, whether that is, that could even be their HIV status. I love the way you said this, is how you said in layman terms, it gave very much to PBS kids. <laughs> I <leave> it. <laughs> okay, baby. So, welcome to our thank you for watching PBS Kids. So, PBS Holla. Oh, wait, before we, because I think I jumped the gun. So, before we continue, I wanted to do a mental health check in, which is kind of it's a check in that I did. Many, many years ago, I got it from this organization, um, NCCJ, um, at this Camp Anytown, and it's basically like a stoplight check-in. So green is you're good to go. Um, yellow is you're functioning, you're moving, but it's still at a slow pace. And then red is you're completely stopped, you can't go on. And so I just wanted to check in with y'all to see how y'all were doing. Who want to go first? What, what, what does green and yellow make? What color is that? You said green and yellow? Green and yellow. Yeah, what color does that make? Like, like green and red. yellow is blue, huh? Oh, my fuck. 
So like green, like you're doing good, you're good. Oh, to go. yellow as in you know proceed. No, I'm saying you mix them together. That's what I'm doing. Like I'm a green color. Color. I want to She was asking about mixing the colors. That's you what I was saying. Like yeah, you can do like a green, yellow, or yellow green if it's a combination. Yeah, I'm doing a yellow green. That's what I'm doing. Okay. Um, I'm doing a green. I'm doing pretty good. You know, it kind of confused me for a little moment. You know, <laughs> <I don't like>. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't sure what was going on. Shout out, Eric and Kid. Thank y'all for tuning in. Oh, hey, Prince. Yeah, you didn't say. How are you doing? You know what? I'm doing, everybody's doing good. I'm a yellow. It's not a green yellow. It's definitely yeah. yellow. Um, I It's just because I have a very stressful job. I work, I'm an essential worker. I have to leave my home to work. And it's definitely been chaotic. It hasn't slowed down. And these people are crazy. And COVID nineteen is trash. And nobody is social just distancing or sitting home. So, yeah, I'm a I'm a strong yellow. I'm a strong yellow. If you watch a hashtag, COVID is trash. COVID is trash. Hashtag. Uh, Kim COVID is trash. You sick, babe? I hope you get better soon. Um. That's some all that party. Shout out that. Uh huh. So we are talking about. Stigma and mental health. So, what's up, Byron? Giving a yellow. Okay. Make sure y'all share this live. Make sure y'all liking it, sending us some love, sharing it. Sorry, I mean to cut you off with us, but you know, share this with the people. We want to see how other people doing. But COVID is trash. You know, COVID is trash. Yeah, Byron giving a yellow, but definitely hashtag COVID is trash. If you watch and give us a couple of hashtags, you know. Oh, what's up, Timmy? Shout out. So we're going to get back to stigma. So Marnina uh, defines social and structural stigma. So what do you all feel like is the structural stigma that affects the TLGB community the most? How much time do we got? I, I thought we said who well, we trying to make sure we keep it brief. But we we get we get you know these are these are the hot because I know we got topics later that we're gonna want to deep dive in. So this is just a you can just say it and say your little thing. This is the appetizer. Yeah, this is the appetizer before the meat. Not the main course. All right. Ooh, because this is like so much stigma. You are part of that whole umbrella. Ooh. What do I feel as though I interact with the most or I see the most? Mm. Oh, this is a good one. Uh, definitely with being sex positive or even sex neutral. Mm -hmm. I come in contact because we know what the numbers look like and how we're at risk of contracting. Um, these are just anything. People do not like to have those conversations about sex. Um, it's not normalized. Go ahead, babe. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not normalized. And a lot of people end up putting themselves um, in other situations that can easily be preventing as well as awareness and education if you don't have a conversation about sex or engaging and how you engage in it sometimes you could be doing something there's always a safer way um and it ain't just about always about condoms prep pep things of that nature it's things i, Ooh, I heard, oh yeah that too 
<laughs> the girls don't want to talk about that, but go ahead. Well, I'm pretty good. Anthony's doing Ramadan, so. Anthony's is not realistic. But, um. Says who? But you know what? But the reason why I said Everyone it. Everyone who isn't asexual. <laughs> because somebody had, I had found out somebody, they would, they. Oh, I don't want to dive into this yet because I'm not talking about life. But say for instance, sex. When they started having sex, they, they were using. They thought they heard KY jelly and they thought that any kind of jelly would suffice. And they were using jam. Uh huh. <laughs> don't laugh. But say, that's what I'm saying. No. Yep. No, I couldn't help it. Jam. <laughs> it's, I couldn't. I didn't like laugh. From the refrigerator that you put on top? Yep. From the ice box. Oh, was it strawberry or, or gray? I didn't know what. I did not inquire about Ooh, the Oh, was it like a marmalade? Like, like, mm. like a freezer. Who sat there and let somebody put jelly in their ass? They didn't know. They didn't know. So they went along and with it. That's more than one person, though, they didn't know. <laughs> you didn't smell oh, the jelly? Oh, my God. I'm quite intrigued. You know, working in sexual health all these years, I've heard some stories, and I was like, I'm wow. They're like, they never knew. Hmm. I say my last, the Bible say my last to see since oh wow yes people would they would use the I seen people you never mind go ahead y'all sing. this is this is this is an insightful it is hmm. but we'll be all day talking about um safe sex practices and things of nature we can have one dedicated a show dedicated to that okay <laughs> we said we got to keep it brief who next. Ooh. So what I talked about on the show on Tuesday, which is on the Mahogany Project uh, page, was the anti-LGBTQ laws that impact uh, people in our community. So there are over 200 laws, which I learned from Vernis. There's over 200 anti-trans laws in Texas. And also Texas is one of the 29 states in the United States currently that do not have um, discrimination laws for LGBTQ folks. Like discrimination protections. We tried to pass it in 2015 due to the HERO Act. It did not pass when Denise Parker was the mayor. And so due to that, a lot of people were calling it a bathroom bill. And if you remember around that time, it kept saying bathroom bills, bathroom bills. But it was much more than that. Mm -hmm. It was actually bills that were equal rights ordinances that would prevent us from being discriminated against housing, healthcare, so many different issues that we would have been impacted by. And so I think that that is the biggest stigma and the biggest structural stigma that we face is those laws because those laws impact us on an everyday basis. You can be evicted from your home. You can be told that you can't get your necessary medications from your pharmacy. Like there are so many businesses that can discriminate against you just for who you love and how you express your gender. And so I think that that's, to me, that's what the biggest one. It is, and people get confused because we are in a blue city, and just because a lot of people fall into suit because it's the norm, like, there's mm -hmm. laws protecting us. And yep. here I was really scary. Like, that was the first time I ever been to a protest. And I tell y'all, everything that you see on TV, when you see everybody at you, like, come on, at you. I'm, I'm gonna tell well, I'm saying this, and I'm not saying this is solely this group, but I can tell you this. The people who were protesting, because we all had on red, all, all the people who were allies or people in the core umbrellas, so we was on one end. All the other people who identified as Christians and they had their shirts on, their Bible verses, I've never in my life. Now, to my face, I've never been called an N-word, right? 
But let me tell you, that day, I was so many, I don't even like saying, well, I'm, I'm still not going to say it. I was so many F-bombs and everything. And then I'm thinking like, well, hold on. You know, it's black people on this side because they were very much, you know, this is not a God. So the black people, white people, brown people, they were all, we had us on this side, had them on this side. And I had never in my life just felt like, dang, like this is real. I felt so much hate, hatred. And it was like us and them. And then, man, it was crazy. Mm. So Byron said the, uh, the stigma surrounding cultural norms and style. Uh, for me, I would I would say one that I think definitely impacts like a lot of black people, particularly, um, is like you can't be black and gay. Mm. I think to mm. a lot of black the black queer people, black trans people. Black bi people living in closets and shadows and shame of who they are, not ever fully being able to embrace their identity. Like, I, I, I shouldn't say I feel sad, but sometimes I hate when I hear that a person is like, oh, I came out when I was like 47 years old. <clears throat> like, that's a long time to be living in the shadows and hiding who you are. Um, because society said you can't be black and gay or West Indies and gay or Jamaican or gay or, you know, the variations of people who are black or, uh, you know what I'm saying? I think that is, I think that that's one of the biggest things in particular for us. Yeah, especially like where our identities, they intersect. It's, yeah, that makes sense. Though. Especially like a whole bunch of stuff with Black Lives Matter, even though it's thought about queer people, like it was very much, when we were marching, like anything dealing with Trayvon, all that Black Lives Matter, we were all we were all there. But then when they found out gay people were associated with or queer people associated with, then they wanted to separate themselves for. And it's like, do I not check both boxes? Or am I any less any less black because I am gay? And then it's the same thing when you look at the Pride movement and how they try to exclude trans people mm -hmm. from the Pride movement as if it, if it wasn't for trans people, that wouldn't be Pride. But when you go to New York and you look at the statues and what was the reputation of Stonewall, all of the st those statues look like white queer men or white gay men. None of them look like the actual people who started the movement. Can we talk about that for a minute? Because some friends of mine... Um... My friend group that I talk to daily. Hey, Melissa. We were um, sorry, y'all. Saying based off J Rock Watcher, what's up? Shout out Jeff about how we people do not address this as much as they should, and I'm definitely speaking from an ally perspective. But there's so much transphobia within the black gay community amongst cis cisgender gay men, black gay men. Yeah. Like, they, like you know you already got the no fast, no films, but it's someone they don't want to be associated with anything trans outside of if the ones they do is for entertainment purpose. Mm -hmm. And they cool with misgendering. Nobody checks, like it's very few and far between that somebody will actually check somebody, use somebody's dead name, misgendering, and we really, 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 really y'all. And I'm talking to everybody within the community, like y'all need to do a better job of that. Y'all really need to do a better job of that. It's like we got ours, you know, and now it's time for y'all to get your get yours. And it's it's sad that people in most marginalized groups are always left to their own devices of trying to build systems 
or create systems and structures in which they can survive. But that shit is hard as hell when I have no power, mm -hmm. I have no equity, I have no jobs, I have no housing, I have no funding, and then I have to take nothing and try to build multiple structures in which I need to survive at once. And in one is unrealistic, it's not fair. And, you know, we we can do better. Even when I look at a lot of the funding that came out around COVID-19 for like support relief for trans people in the South, there was very limited funding that came out for trans people in the South. Um, mm -hmm. And then we did look at places in the South that had funding that was like, oh, this is for the South. It was for like the Carolinas. Mm -hmm. But what about the deep Southern states? People, Texas is considered the trans murder capital of the United States, but yet we were the last place to have resources and funding for trans people who needed it. That shit makes no sense to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what's that? Wait, Joey, you, you with Boss Slice? Um, I think for me, it's the intersectionality. It's the being our TLGB plus community intertwined with race and class for me, because I feel like yes. once, like, I'll be completely honest, white, you know, white, the white people in our community, they have it, they don't have it a lot better, but they got it better. Yeah. And money just makes it that much better because you have people like, even though I can't stand really, I don't care for her, but the Caitlyn Jenners and those people who are white, who can transition and they just do whatever. Like, and I feel like being black and, you know, having class against us, it really, really impacts us because we're not afforded resources. We're not, you know, we, it's so much more difficult for us to overcome just for those basic necessities in life. So I feel like it's the intersection of class and race for me that just, and then, I mean, once you throw in some other stuff, it's just, it's, it's a perfect storm. And I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah, and definitely. Mm -hmm. Melissa Wilson said, Texas never soft enough. And it's, I don't know people, and then I always have to remind myself that a lot of people outside of Texas, they, they see us as Texas. And I always see us as Houston. <laughs> However, the fact that they will think that, let's say a city like Houston or a city like Austin or even what's the other city in, in Texas, the other big one? Dallas. Yeah. Dallas. Yeah. Um, <laughs> even them, they feel as though because we're these major metropolitan cities that we don't need resources. And of course, yes, we may be doing a lot better than other people <laughs> across the USA. However, we still need those resources because, especially with a marginalized community, as people with trans experience, definitely just because you may see the gays represent, that doesn't mean that everybody under that umbrella, that's all you're going to see. And there's more than just gay under that core umbrella that needs resources, access to them. But then, too, it's also about gay and queer people investing in systems, the systems that support other people who are not supported that live in their communities, uh -huh. because there are people in, in who live in these communities that have wealth and access that choose to not support or take their wealth and access outside of the community. And that goes back to what Joel said about classism, and maybe that'd be a whole nother conversation, because we definitely need to talk about, first of all, this is nothing new, and I'm talking right now, I'm talking just dealing with the Black community. We know 
even with the whole how HBCU started things that nature, classism has been an issue for us. Mm-hmm. A lot of us feel as though once we make it, we black like that and not black like this. So we only deal with these blacks instead of those blacks. And so many times you want to only have your resources to uplift these people, help these people out. Instead of, I mean, you came from the same situation. You might just be the gen- uh, that first generation of having somewhat type of wealth, but yet you just want to deal with it and call everybody ghetto, call people this, call people that, just to make them feel less than instead of trying to assist them. Not ghetto. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just playing. But let, let's move on because, okay. child, we done, we done, this wasn't happening. <laughs> like, we done ordered doubles. So the next question is How is the mental health of marginalized communities affected by structural stigma? Did we already touch on it? Yeah, I think we already went over that question. I think we kind of what, still what did. Anything they want to add to it per se before we move on? Okay, I don't think we have that, but if yeah. you out there in the comments, in the comments, land, if y'all got anything to add about, please, <laughs> please go ahead. I think we have to we're, gonna, we're gonna keep going, but definitely <laughs> on to the conversation. Definitely, please comment. Um, okay, so the next question. Do you feel like mental health is directly related, correlative to structural stigma? Ooh. Do I think mental health is a direct correlation to structural stigma? I definitely think so. Like when you were talking about class, um, the intersection. People, yes. I think, ooh. Sorry, Marnina, but I'm just thinking. No, you good, you good. I just I agree with you. If you're going to say specifically as it relates to Black people or people of color, yeah, because I would feel like, hell, if mental health, if structural stigma played into like uh, mental health issues, white people should be mentally. What's that lady who drowned her kids? What's her name? Andrea Yates. Yeah. She, she shouldn't have no issues. Yeah. She was a white woman in America with a husband that was taking care of her. Yeah. So I did, honestly, I would say, can your mental health be affected by structural racism? Absolutely, but I don't think that your mental health is based upon that. Not because, for yeah, not for white people. Or honestly, you're not for white people or people of a certain class of privilege. Because I'm not going to say that I, I think that, let's say, for instance, uh, who we know that's um, Who did cut money in the Oh, it's my apologies, Monique. No, 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 you good. I'm still thinking about something else because Bernie took mine. So right. <laughs> like certain people, I definitely think, listen, if we all got pain, but I definitely think that certain people deal with certain things. But let me tell you, if I was to quote um, Nino Brown, was a raised with a single spoon in my mouth, Miss Hawkins. But I definitely think if I was a black person, like, let's say if... Um, if you was? No, not a black person. Hey, this, hold on. Let's just, I'm trying to give an example. Who do we know that's Did always... Say if I was a black person. Was a, you know, I'm <laughs> But no, when we think about he black, got revillaligo. Oh, put it like, oh Lord, this is gonna take this back to this whole other conversation. But I'm just using this example talking about what let's say if I was born with a father like Quincy Jones, I really think that how I'm affected by structural racism will be different because of my access to privilege and certain things. So Melissa said, how does stress from structural issues impact mental health uh mental health? So I think about 
the most important thing that I think about and why I specifically say Black people and not to double back on that, um, for me, and I hope this kind of answers that question, is because studies have shown that Black people, like, generational trauma is, like, passed down th through DNA. Like, mm -hmm. it has been, like, proven scientifically. And so I do think some structural stigmas that are passed down through trauma that we all face, like some of the shit that we still facing now that's keeping us oppressed. Your grandmama faced that, your mama faced it, you know, it may have looked different to a degree, but it was still the same thing. Like women's oppression is still there. The fighting to make an equal doubt, the equal wage of a man is still there. You know what I'm saying? So it's not like that shit cleared up in the 70s and now we living in 2020 and it's all great women make, you know, not saying that there's not women who don't make the same amount, but we know on the broader scale, that's not a reality. And so I do, you know, it's just been shown that some of those traumas from being, you know, black and just generational things that have happened to is passed down in our DNA. And I think so too, like to piggyback off on that, we still dealing with a lot of stigma just for our skin color, not even just being LGBTQ+. You have to add in also our skin color plays an issue when we talk about seeing Black folks being constantly killed. You can literally look online and type in Black man being killed on YouTube and see a multitude of videos of Black man being slain. If that is not PTSD within itself, to see folks like you on a constant basis being shot down by people that are supposed to protect you, I don't know what it is. And, and so- I mean, too, because you got to think about the EMT who was in her home. Yeah. And, the, and the, the lady who was uh babysitting her nephew up in the middle of the night playing video games and died trying to protect her ne nephew. I was about to get into that. So intersectionality plays an issue with that when you talk about intersectionality because black women are not even though we are killed at the same rate as black men by the hands of the police no one talks about that due to massage noir and so black women we also have to add on that double stigma of that and then you also add on the black women of trans experience their issues that, that impact them the fact that what is it 30 years old was the for black trans women that was the also, huh? it's 35, I thought it was 30. Okay. So it's 35, right. but mm -hmm. it's 32 in the South. Like in the deep mm -hmm. South, it's 32. Mm -hmm. That's the rate that, you know, that's the, the age that most Black trans women do not get to see. And that is sad. And that's, that to me, that is stigma within itself. That's structural stigma. That weighs on someone's mental health. When you're looking at your life every day and you're like, oh, I'm 28. Is it going to be my turn next year? Is it going to be my turn next month? When you constantly thinking about a number, that's crazy. Like that, to be honest, that can really weigh on a person's mental health. I mean, if I was a black woman of trans experience, I would be terrified. I'm about to be 30. Like, oh, is, is, is it my turn? You know? So it's a lot that weighs on the mental health of black folks. I actually, I feel like we segue into, because we were going to bring it up later, but I kind of, I feel like this is the perfect segue to talk about this, the black life that's I guess disposable apparently and the hashtag that's come up that stopped killing us because of how many young black folks are being killed even when we're supposed to be quarantining and really supposed to be social distancing we're still dying and we're still getting killed at high rates how how do you feel like that is impacting I guess let's talk about it personally let's talk about it 
how it relates to us personally. How do you feel like it affects your mental health personally when you see those images, those videos, those hashtags? How do you feel like it affects you? So for me, it's kind of a sad reality of a constant reminder of really an unspoken truth that just Black youth have been dying for years for a multitude of reasons. I stopped watching the news in middle school because we, have you ever noticed when you turn the news on, the first thing that they show you before they even give you the wealth is they tell you everybody who died? Have you noticed that? If you watch the news, it's 10 to 15 minutes. Do it tonight. Watch the news. It's literally 10 to 15 minutes in before you get the weather. They will tell you every single crime, every person who has died, all of that before they give you the weather. I stopped watching the, the news in middle school because I started timing it to see what, like, damn, I'm just trying to get ready to, for school, baby, to see what I, how I need to plan for my day. And I can't do that because you got to run me down a list of everybody who's my age who died and who can't get dressed to go to school this morning. One of the shows that I used to be very into when it first came out was First 48. And if you watch First 48, a lot of the people who die on there are either young or the person who is usually the person who killed them is young or they're both young. And they're usually people of color or particularly black. And so, and, and then First World Eight particularly takes place in a lot of Southern states, Alabama, Texas, Atlanta. It happens in a lot of Southern places, right? And so it's just a constant reminder of, for me, when you hear about, you know, Black youth dying at the hands of police officers, dying at the hands of each other, just how not only, we just, I think a lot of it is, we see ourselves as disposable and kind of that's kind of, why people make it so easy to dispose of us. So many of us think less, less of ourselves because of the, the structural stigmas. We don't, we ain't never had shit. We don't know what it's like to have shit. We, our people ain't never had nothing. They ain't never been nowhere. So we ain't never aspire to go nowhere. So we really have nothing to look forward to. So we consider ourselves disposable. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I feel like I went on a tangent, but go ahead. Mm -hmm. That was deep, bro. It's there. It's definitely um, a trigger for me. Even when I know we were, you know, we were sitting at the agenda, and then we were saying we were going to talk about it. It was just like, from this past two weeks, it's definitely been a trigger for me because dealing with the mom situation, then having a close friend that got killed when they inter recently with interaction with police officers. It's just like. It just puts you in that. It puts you in the headspace. Now, if you're talking about affecting your mental health, that did. They just had me just in a place of indifference because you know a lot of black people are raised, especially being a black man. You 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 you. They quote unquote tell you they try to push respectability politics on you. So you know, say yes sir, say no ma'am, do this if you're stopped by the police, do that, this, that, and the other. You do all that, then you still miss your demise. And it's just like, we like, I don't, I don't know what this is gonna take. Cause a lot of people say, you, you know, we definitely will have to be at a place where it's just we are living amongst ourselves. However, you need people that you still have remnants of that from way back yesteryear that we still trying to like unpack. They said, pull your pants up, don't say, 
um, where this, where that. But then you had people swinging from trees in whole suits. You see what I'm saying? So it's like you, no matter how palatable or how they try to dilute us, it's still, it's still never good enough. Your life doesn't have that same value. And I don't know at this point, especially as a father and being a black man, like what do you tell our youth? What do you tell our youth as far as like, you want to make sure that we're doing what we need to do so our next generation is here. But it's like, we don't have anything. We've done everything y'all told us to do. And we still end up in the same predicament. So it's just like, damn, it's like, you damn if you do, if you damn if you don't. I think I've been numb since Trayvon Martin. And that's when I first got hip to the power of the injustice system in America. And since then, I have been so numb and every hashtag every black person that's dying it's fueled my activism but it also has just made me so numb and it's really sad to know that i'm used to seeing black bodies being killed in the street and it's to the point where i no longer share those videos i no longer watch them and when people share them i mute them and i don't know if that that's not supposed to happen like yeah i want people to see what they're doing to a black men but at the same time i can't take it like i'm a really sensitive person at heart and i, I i'm an empath i can't continue to see that death and so as a woman that wants to bear children one day like i have a five-year plan and since I'm about to turn 30, you know, everybody that when they turn 30, they be like, I got a plan, I got a plan. And like, I really have a five-year plan. And a part of that five-year plan, because I was listening to a woman from the True Project, she was saying like, if you're a woman of childbearing age, she was a lesbian. She was saying either when you get 30, freeze your eggs or be in the process to go ahead and start preparing to have children. And she was like, because you don't want to wait until you're not fertile anymore and so I'm now in that process of thinking like what's the next steps for me to start a family and have children even if I'm not partnered and why would I have a child just for it to die at the hands of a white person at the hands of someone that didn't create like I don't know it's just it's so disheartening I don't know I don't know I'm just really really numb I'm really really sad I just mm -mm. And then we also, because I'm going to say this, because there's not too many blanket, like, comments or things, opinions that I try to have, because it's always exceptions to the rules. Same for instance with anybody. Um, I'm not one of those people that just, um, like, if the police, right? However, I do understand that a lot of us have died at the hands of police, and I do know that the boys in blue, regardless of what they're ethnicity is or that race is, they stick together. Because a lot of black lives have been lost at the hand of black police officers too. So then it's like, I would expect you to understand that then you still end up in the same, in the same state. Well also, cause morning I do the same thing. Like I couldn't even watch too many more of those videos. It's just like, it gets to a point to where we get so numb to we get desensitized to it. I just want to say this is not a message that you know, like we're bashing the police mm -hmm. or saying that we don't support the police and what it is that they do. Um, but what we're saying is that black life is valuable. Um, and that as people of African descent, African American descent, as black people, as as multicultural people, like 
we are valuable and we're tired of seeing people that look like us looked at and be seen as disposable. And if you are a person who look like us, we want you to know that you are valuable. You're not disposable. You have worth. You are worthy. You're worthy of the space that you're in and the space that you occupy. You don't need nobody's permission to love yourself. Love yourself now, right now. If you have, you don't start right now in this moment and just know that there's people that support you and being you. Yeah. Oh, y'all, before we get off this topic, I was, um, I did the Black Women's March two years ago. And I was watching as these little black girls, there was some little young black boys and young black girls, they had to be around like 10, between the ages of 10 to 12. And a police officer got close to them. And like some two police officers got close to them. They were just like trying to shake their hands and stuff. And they were freaking out. Like they was having anxiety attacks. Like they like, you could just see the sweat dripping off their face. Like they were so terrified. And my heart just broke into like, 3,000 pieces like I was like wow that is just so sad for those kids to be so sensitive to even having someone around them that has on this type of uniform due to seeing all of the tragedies that they have probably had to endure on the news and via social media I was just heartbroken for them it's crazy because I can say growing up, and then of course classes and probably had some do with it. Growing up, especially in the suburbs, like I did not have the same outlook on police as I do now. And I'm not saying again, we're not saying all police, but social media, thanks to it, you get to see a lot of things that are that's happening and documented. Let's just say growing up, the whole Rodney King situation, we wouldn't have known that if it wasn't recorded. Um Yes, I, I thought as a kid that when some, whenever somebody got in trouble with the police or anything, it was their fault. Because I always said this picture painted of the police, so what was presented to presented to us was that the police are always in the right. You know, no, there's no need to police the police because they're upstanding sentences and they all use sound judgment and everything. And it's just like, man, you get to this age. And it's like, again, you um, take off those rose-colored glasses. So it's just like, man, I don't know what advice to give people. It's just like, I hate to say it, but we just have, we have to deal. We have to deal. I don't know what that looks like. Hopefully it changes, but like, yeah, that's all I got for you. One of my friends, Callie, hey, Callie, she commented, she said that one of her biggest fears is bringing a child into this current chaos, which... Mm-hmm we've echoed um I feel like for me personally I I don't I don't watch the videos I don't share I don't share no hashtags I don't share no names I just our lives are already traumatic like we have to deal with death with we have to wake up having to work twice as hard three times as hard having to deal with oppression having to you know be called the n-word the f-word all of this that I don't want to go on my social media that is for my enjoyment and my entertainment and just my little bit of getaway to see people that look like me being murdered constantly. That's not what I want to like. That's not what I want to share. I ignore them. I don't look at it. If that means that I have to stay off Instagram for a day or two 
to avoid all the hashtags and the videos and the posts. I do because I just feel like it's life is already traumatic in real time. So I don't want to have to go on Instagram and I'm flooded by all of these triggering pictures and posts. And, you know, and I sometimes it makes me question because it's like, you know, I'm doing activism work. I'm trying to get more into activism work and I'm trying to do all of these things. And it makes me feel like, well, am I not doing my part? But I don't care. I'm not going to share it. I'm not going to like it. I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to post it. I'm not going to repost. I just feel like there's already so much of that. And we, me personally, I just want to see different content. I'm tired of seeing a Black person being murdered. That's our news. That's what we have to say. Or some ignorant bullshit or something that is painful and oppressive and triggering. It's like we keep resharing the trauma and we keep reliving it and it does nothing. I feel like it doesn't help us heal. It just keeps us in this perpetual cycle. So I don't know. It's hard because it's constantly being shared, but I try to filter it out as much as possible. If that means that I'm not watching nothing or I'm not on Instagram or Facebook or any social media, then I'm just going to stay off because I just feel like everything's already being said. And I don't feel like for my entertainment and enjoyment, I don't want to be sitting in my bed or walking around and then seeing a video of somebody being murdered in the street. Like, I just, yeah. I don't know. That's, that's my piece about it. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's how I am about everything. So, said, we shouldn't have to share that type of news to get the attention of those outside of the black community, and that she understand that we where we're coming from. And I'm glad to see that we have people that understand and people that support. And and I also understand too. Sometimes it's very important for us to share those things, right? Like. Mm -hmm. Like earlier today, Tiffany Skills was driving down MLK and there was a car that was being pulled over by the police and there were some kids in. She said she can hear the kids crying from the car, but there's like six cars of like police officers and SUVs um, surrounding this one truck. Oh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes sharing that kind of information keep them like on their toes, like, yeah, we watching. Like, granted that sometimes we don't always get the results that we want, but know that we're watching. I guess I'm a pessimist. I don't think it keep them on their toes at all. Cause we've been sharing since Trayvon. We still getting killed. We still getting murdered. We in quarantine. People supposed to be acting right. They still killing us. They still murdering us. They still, I feel like it's just, I feel like personally, it's just showing how much it really is happening. Cause I don't even think that before we people were able to really get a true sense of how much our lives aren't valued and how much they're really killing us and slaying us. And I feel like what social media does is I don't, I don't know. I don't want to say that I think the police are evil. I don't want to say I think the white people are evil. I'm not going to say that. However, I think that they don't give a fuck about a camera because they didn't put they put cameras on their uniforms. Like they have to wear body cams and they still killing us. So it's clear that they don't give a fuck. I just feel like I mean, I just feel like it's just showing the magnitude of how much we're getting killed. 
South. Savannah Point. All right. All right. So, <laughs> 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 well, we can switch, <laughs> switch topics to something. I might have to get some, some drink. We're we going to switch to another type of stigma, which is homosexuality and transphobia within the Black community. And we're going to talk about y'all boy Boosie. I'm, 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 I'm Go ahead, Marnie, to kick it out, Joe. You gotta get your drink. I'm get my alcohol because I don't got nothing to say. Boosie is a homophobic, pedophilic, mm-hmm. ignorant, discombobulated, trauma creating imbecile. That's what he is. Well, he looks like um, he's Blady syndrome, too. Oh, he does. He does. And he is. What thirty seven look like he fifty seven? <laughs> I can't. I cannot. I, I'm done. Like I'm done with the Boosie. Like, like okay. I was done with him after the comments about Zayo Wade, but I am really done with him about him having a prostitute not only molest his son, but molest his nephews and molest his little cousins, like. And he said also and then, he participated too. Yeah, and then he said that the lady not only gave them fellatio, but then came and gave him fellatio too. And it's just like, first of all, did you take her down to the local clinic and test her first? And also, who is who is who is being paid and gonna allow you to let them but like it's, it's so multi-layered in there. I'm just, to be honest, I really feel like he is the R. Kelly of our generation. Hey, I well, really feel like that. Now, wait a minute now, because R. Kelly had his. Boosie I had mean, look, But to, to people in Louisiana. Uh-uh. He had eight. <laughs> in 92, <laughs> he had eight. But see, you from, you from L.A., you just don't know. These people in Louisiana praise little yeah. like They love him like he's a god. Like, when I got down here, I was like, okay, he got wiped me down. It's like, no, he got this on, that on, that. I was like, okay. Definitely down how we, like, well, we can separate two things just for right now. Definitely, like, prior to all this is Boosie. I was definitely one of them Boosie, like, wipe me down. What else, um, Boosie? That's all I know. I'm in the club. Mm-mm. I got my people. But anyway, we're we not here to celebrate that portion. Um, and like, yeah, we're not gonna get him. Yeah, like, like Cam said, like Cam said, he did say he was going to do it in the community, praise him for it. So, here's my thing here's the problem I had with my Boozy say. First off, we we spoke about Massage Wall, right? And how a lot of, and you know what, if anybody you either gonna say amen, you're gonna say ours, because I'm only talking about my experience and my proximity as being a black man. So many times. You can also talk that. about your proximity to being a black man with a, with a, with a son, too. Yes. I try to keep all that out there. But yeah, no, for real. Sorry. Um, no, no, it's cool. Um, <laughs> no, so let's talk about that. Um, even with these situations, I don't, it, it's some, it definitely transcends oh, besides race. But so many times when a little boy's molested, right? It does not get the same attention. You get praised for having sex with an older woman, right? 
However, if we flip the same thing around, because he said, yeah, she finished my, my son's out, my nephew, man. Like, if we did the same thing, said he was a little girl, right? That you, like, your uncle, your daddy had a man in there. Hey, baby, you get you home from school. I'm going to have this man in there to perform or sex on you. Baby, Boosie would have been, like, canceled. The hashtag cancel Boosie, mute Boosie would have been populated. It's so interesting, and even watching on Insecure, not to spoil it for anybody, not to spoil for for you, Joel, but like last week, um, when Derek and Tiffany had, um, they had their baby, and he's basically saying how he was trash until he had his daughter. It's so crazy how a lot of people don't have their wake-up call, if they ever do, until it hits home. So my thing is, if you, and we can police our daughters and like, make sure our black women to make sure that they're not being violated. Why don't we do the same thing with our black men? I don't, I personally don't think that we police any of our kids because look at how long it took for R. Kelly to come to justice. It was a known fact that he was molesting girls. And it took him. It's a known fact. I've been knowing this for years that uh, Lil Boosie uh, had somebody give his nephew and his son. Or and I mean, I feel like these are known facts within our community. I mean, how many, you know, it's that ongoing joke within Black families that, oh, we don't put the kids around, you know, so and so. We they don't like touch them or do this or do that. It's like, a no, it's like an ongoing thing with Black families. Our children are not protected. Our children are sexualized at a young age and we're not protecting them. So I feel like people would say like, yeah, well, if it was a girl, it would be, you know, he would be canceled. I don't think he'd be canceled at all because R. Kelly is barely canceled. I feel like people are just saying that, but I feel like if it was flipped, it would be another thing. Like, okay, because look at people like T.I., look at other people who are doing stuff to their kids and nobody's bad in the eye. I just think that they're just saying, well, if it was a girl, he'd be canceled. Like, I don't think that black kids matter to people. I think that black kids are constantly abused, sexualized, made to be adults before their time. And nobody cares. Nobody cares at all. Because it's been it's been it's been since norm. So let's be real. Like you said, people had this issue. Um, don't have your kids around a girl boy. Or like I've heard now, I, I don't have a step um either parent, but I've heard certain people certain women say, Oh, don't walk around your stepdaddy in your night clothes. Um, because XYZ. My thing is, why would you have any man around any person, any adult around your kids that you have to police them into what to wear? To control a grown person's actions, like if that if that's in them, that's in them. What I'm confused about is how. Well, you know what? Let's go back to the R. Kelly situation, right? Because we were young when all that was going on. Even as a kid, I knew because Aaliyah was the same age as my older brother, but we still knew that she was significantly a lot younger than R. Kelly. Whether they said something or not, it didn't make it. It didn't have the impact as it does now. And that's one thing they said. They give us a lot of crap about us being millennials and saying that we're too overly sensitive. However, it wasn't until the millennials got a hold of this situation that it even had the attention to bring it to the where it is right now. Like, don't get me wrong. We definitely have a long way to go. But I can say this. As time goes on, we are basically more vocal about what's not okay. Because Gen X, like your little quarter Gen X, like 
again, she was married to this man. Nobody said nothing. I can tell y'all this. I can even be on um, full time. When I first saw the R. Kelly tape, mind you, tape, so this is long ago. I think like in high school, didn't know that it was no captions on there to say who was the underage girl. You looked at that girl, and I already knew that girl was around my age around that time. So my thing is, y'all had all that. I want to say we came across that like what, like 01, 02, or whatever it was. And yet, we or Kelly, when did all this stuff start happening? Like what in 2016? Two yeah, two years ago. So my thing is, whatever well, we are. Well, Bill R. Kelly has been a thing for a while because Tom Jordan stopped playing his music way back when okay. on a Tom Jordan morning show, but it didn't really resurface and become mm -hmm. more of a prevalent thing until more maybe about two years ago. Sorry, but just no, it's cool. So I definitely think what millennials do and generation do better than anybody else. We bring attention, we bring awareness. And yeah, sometimes you want to escape that you don't want to see. However, that type of attention definitely does put the fire on because all it's gonna take is somebody who have access to certain power with certain resources to launch investigation to do this. So we have to keep speaking against it, and we have to not only speak against it when it's a celebrity, but about the pastor. About your own brother, they're listening, their nieces and nephews. About about the aunt who's doing the same thing, woman down the street. Hell, Whitney Houston was molested by her cousin. And you didn't even, we, we didn't find out that until the documentary. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah. But I think we could go even further and see how black girls due to massage noir are not protected. Because when the R. Kelly documentary came out, it was them little girls fast. They right. should have knew better. But they were like 14. When I was 14, but and R. Kelly would have came to my school, and he would have came to my school talking about, oh, I can ride in his Rolls Royce. You think I wouldn't go jump in the car? And then another thing, it was pedophilia at the most because, you know, I'm from Michigan, and Michigan is like maybe an hour from Chicago, and a lot of my family lives in Chicago. They would sell the tapes on, on the side of the street when they, like, you know how out in Houston they wash cars on the side of the road? Well, they sold those tapes on the side of the road while they were selling candy, and they were selling the tapes so dudes could, you know, you know, so people could masturbate to it. Yep. And it was a tape of a little girl. And so we thinking that... Oh, we thinking, like, she right. I'm saying the R. Kelly tape. Like, even you have some grown Yeah. If they're kidding, no. Well, I ain't yeah. know the location where we at. But not too far from here is where I obtained to at King's Flea Market. Yeah. You to get, like, but at that time, not saying this is an excuse, but I was a child doing childish things. I can tell you, this is an adult and a grown man, what I'm not going to do. And I don't understand at this age, right? I don't understand how people my parents' age, because my parents were my age that I am right now. I don't understand how people in their generation was watching this and getting off to it. Because I cannot get off to a little kid. Nothing about a child turns me on. So all of that shit. No, I don't want to say but, but you have to look at the thing too. Some of our grandparents was like, your grandma was 13 and your grandfather was 21 and they was in a full-fledged marriage. That was then. This is not. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But but if that was your mom's mom and daddy situation, mm -hmm. that's not far removed from the whole R. Kelly situation. So for them, that's not that's not something that they're not accustomed to. For for us, when our mom and daddy is more our age, it's like, well, damn. You know, why does a little girl want to go over here with this girl? Yeah. It becomes more of an awareness. But 
if you think about it, some of us grandparents literally was your grandma was probably 13 and your grandfather was 21. Or surely your grandmother was some years younger than your grandfather. I'm I'm mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm almost 90% sure. Again, it's the reason that as generations, we're when we've had pri privilege to serve resources and academic ac academia, we are able to say, hey, this ain't right. This ain't right. Because I can even and I had told my friends, like my godmother is eleven years older than her being eleven years younger than her mom. My grandma Gigi. Yep. She was eleven years old when she had her. And of course, like if that's the sense of norm, and my grandparents think they were 16 and all of them they got married, but we're at this day and age, well, no, that's not okay. And even if someone does get permission, because the parent is responsible to the child for the child to the age of 18. So statutory rape is on the hands of boost. Like regardless of what happened, those are kids, they had sex with an adult, period. I don't even understand why this man kid, what CPS ain't kicking in the door, waving for four, like seriously. And then when you think about letting next people think about it, after a girl have a Kinsietta, she's considered to be a woman, right? I When I was in high school, I know let ex kids that was full-fledged married, mm -hmm. and they were like in the fucking 10th and 11th grade. Yep. Now your parents. I think culture. I think cultural norms definitely play a role in marriages because my grandmother was married. Now that I think about it, my grandmother was married at fifteen, and my granddaddy was considerably older, and she had a first child at sixteen. But my thing is also we also know, like um, Adonis was saying, we know through academia, and we know that going through school and being more aware of cultural norms and being more aware of like a child is not able to consent at that age and knowing that at that age that's a child now now that we have those uh boundaries we now know that that's not okay mm -hmm. and so since we now know that that's not okay and that those are children because my grandmother at 15 was not in school mm -hmm. at 15 i was in high school i was a junior in high school my grandmother was a woman that was working in the fields to help her mother earn wages for the family. So at that point, she was considered grown, right? But at 15, I was in high school. So we're in two different stages. When my mom was 15, she was going to the first integrated schools. So even though like we have these generational gaps and things are different, we, our parents knew better. Like our parents knew better. I'm sorry, they did. Like I understand that they saw our grandparents in that certain stage, but they now knew better because from my my mom was born in the the early '60s. In her movement, there was the ERA movement, which was the Equal uh, Rights Ordinance for Women. There was also the movement of the Black Panthers. She also saw the Rodney King stuff. She also was a part of the AIDS crisis. Like there are just so many things that our parents have experienced that they now know that that's not okay, that 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 molestation of that child in that tape was not okay. So they knew better. They just chose not to do better. And I think when people learn, they are no longer, we can no longer consider them to be ignorant. Our grandparents were ignorant of that fact. So mm -hmm. they now have the knowledge and now we have the knowledge to not continue that. And I'm not going to give, because if I say that that's okay, then that'll be okay for Boosie. And I'm not going to say that that's okay. Yeah, and I'm not going to give it a pay. And I don't want you to think that, or nobody that's listening to think that I'm saying that it's okay, that that is okay at all, sis, because it's totally not okay. But I definitely want to give a rationale to why some people 
think that it is, or some people, we wouldn't even say that people think that it was okay. People gave a blind eye to it. Let's call mm -hmm. it because you're right. A lot of people didn't know that it was wrong and that wasn't right, but people did it out of necessity, out of resource, right? It was probably right. for me as a 15-year-old girl to marry this this 22-year-old man who already had a job and already had money because he can help mm -hmm. my family. So I did it out of resource, which is the same thing as survival sex, right? And so, mm -hmm. so it's just, I understand the, the necessity of it but we also have to think about too so some of the girls in our generation when we was in high school was 17 with a boyfriend that was 27 and they thought it was cute mm -hmm. yep but see but see that goes back to i can't consent because i was one of those girls that had a boyfriend that was considerably older and i thought it was cute because he had a car but now that i look back upon it and now being more aware of what was going on back then i was being molested like period. That was statutory rape all day long. Right. He knew better and he knew that I knew that he had a vehicle so he knew to come to the high school with his flashy car because he was a predator and he was preying upon children. And now that I'm older, I'm able to realize like, hey, that man was a predator, sis. He was a predator. All of them. Yep. Right. I, you, I, go ahead, Joelle. I, know, I was going to say, I definitely, Marnina, I was one of them girls too. I lost my virginity to a man that was a lot older than me. And I was quite underage. And, mm -hmm. you know, at the time, I thought it was cute. But now, mm -hmm. in hindsight, after learning, it was predator. He was a predator. It was rape. And it was, he was predatory. And he was just, it was supporting this whole rape culture that is prevalent in society today. And I feel like when you love, when you know better and you learn better, hopefully you, you know, can come out of it in hindsight and do better. But I definitely know I was one of them girls too, trust me. And it's oh, boys. I was having that conversation with one of my friends today, like not to get all deep into it, but I was telling her like, if R. Kelly would have came to my school, I probably would have got in the car with him because I was so young and naive. And because, like Adonis was saying, I was born in the suburbs. I'm from a town of 10,000 people. Like, I'm green as hell. Don't know nothing. Like, I probably would have been one of those girls that jump in his car. Because I'm just, I was probably that naive at being 14. But also, I was going to private school and stuff. So I was sheltered as hell. So I probably would have been that girl to jump in his car. And then also, I didn't have the body autonomy to tell my 35-year-old dude at the time, hey, you penetrate and hurt me. Like, I was thinking that that's how it's supposed to be because that's what I see on the pornos on my little flip phone. So I'm thinking that that's how sex is supposed to be. I'm not able to tell him, do it like this or do it like that because I'm not supposed to be having sex with somebody that old any damn way. Right. Because he's raping me. And again, it goes back to sexual education. Did we have that conversation then? What were we talking about then? No. We were talking about that because you must believe, like, like I said, I was that, that boy too. Like, I was definitely sneaking and I had a car. I was driving to Houston and me, Cassie is like 38, 39, 40 plus, and all of it. Heathens. We can also consider heat because Booster said, you know, I'm, I, my kids, they got iPhones 11, they ain't gonna be watching stuff with all that gay stuff, man. And my thing, like, you thought you can't look up porn and all that on these devices? Ooh, and right no, now. he said he makes his kid. He said he 
He said he buys the iPhone 11 so that his son can look up Pornhub, so that his son can look at women and men having sex because he doesn't want his son to look at gay cartoons. I was like, I what? Know, all the time that Bootsy was in prison, what was he doing? That's what I mean. I actually don't want to know because he's ugly and he looked like a roach. But I mean, honestly, <laughs> I just, he does nothing for me. I don't understand. I just, I'm not from the South, so I don't get it. He just, it goes over my head. He had three hits at best. But I just want to say, if you watch him, make sure you like his page, you know, on Facebook and the Instagram, make sure you like and follow, you know, likes and follows are both important. Please. And if you follow him, if you're feeling generous, if you still got a little change left over from your stimulus check, reach your who did your income tax late, go ahead and feel free to drop a coin. We appreciate that too. Uh, and let me ask, because y'all, y'all are definitely dropping some um, gems in the comments. How do y'all feel about that? Like, because I know everybody, somewhere, whether you experienced, you knew somebody else who was doing it. When you was in high school, somebody's being hot to try. Hot to try, and you were still having with these grown folks. Like, how do y'all feel about that now? Do you still feel the same way? Do you see anything wrong with it? I definitely feel as though, because I remember my, oh, Lord. He was, well, he ain't got Facebook, but his wife do. Like, when I found out about Ooh. sex, I'm, no, listen, what I'm about to say. So when I found out about sex, like, a lot of guys, boys who have older brothers, I found out through my big brother, because he had his porno magazines and all that. I'm thinking, hey, I'm four, uh, my brother was 14, I was probably, like, I don't know, fifth grade or something like that. So I'm looking at it, some kind of way my mama had found out that he had the magazine, and... She flipped that. So now y'all need to be looking to that. Y'all too young. But my dad had left. So I said, no, nah, it's cool. They already, they know that they're about, listen, they gonna find out about it some kind of way. Back then, I was like, you know, exactly. I was out on my dad's side. Now, once you become a father, then you have 14 year old, you're like, hold on. Right? But then it was a different situation when it's another, and I'm not condoning, but I'm, what I'm saying, the reality is, let's not act like 14 year olds don't have sex with other 14 year olds, 15 year olds. My issue comes when the 14 year old, 15 year old, 17 year old is having sex with a 20 plus year old, 18 plus. Like, I know for me, being now, being older, because I'm the oldest here, <laughs> and get like dealing with young guys who think that I'm younger and they're like, oh no, it's okay. I'm I'm 17. You good. Nah, motherfucker, it's not okay. Cause I'm old enough to be your motherfucking mama. Get the fuck away from me. Like I feel like being older and going through that and learning, you you have a choice. You have a choice whether you want to keep perpetuating this bullshit rape culture or you can take a stand. And I'm like what I couldn't even fucking consent at 17. Why the fuck do I want a 17-year-old? What the fuck can you do for me? Like, and I, I, like I don't get that. And me and my friends were talking about that the other day. Like, at this age, like, once you, he started like, what? Somebody 18, like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, what can they do for you? And it's too much. Let me say something. It's not hard to obtain sex. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Trust the plus. It ain't never been no shortage of So my thing is, you can't find somebody around your own age to get to like, what can they try? 
that first of all can't even wipe it right. Like what? Like what do you get out of this? Honestly, what do you get out of this? Well, I'm like, you can't even buy me no drink, or you can't go into a bar, or you can't go nowhere. You're coming to my place. So what am I babysitting? I don't. What is this? What are we doing? Yeah. Like I just feel like now being that older person and engaging with younger men who think that it's okay because it's that cycle. They're like, oh, I done dated women that's older than you. Ew, that's gross. And that's not, that's, that's not doing nothing for me. Get away from me. Like, I just still go to the pediatric clinic. Yep. If you still on your parents' insurance, you can't do nothing for me. If you go to college. No, if you if you, if you still on your parents' insurance, baby, you can't do nothing for me. There is nothing attractive. That's not true, because if you go to college, you can stay on your parents' insurance. If you still on your parents' insurance, you can't do nothing for me. That's what I need to say. Fuck that, because I stayed on my If you're 25 and you're all right, so, so you stay somebody young enough, 26, they can be, huh? 23, huh? No, what I That's said what is, is what we say. I stayed on my parents' insurance, which I had to, they put me off. Yeah, me too. But I'm saying, if I did too, and I got put off at 26. I don't yeah. want nobody me too. younger than 26 over here because you can't do nothing for me. <laughs> but what if they got the old insurance? That's different. Okay, so let's talk about the insurance. Well, baby, you got your own insurance. And depending on what what kind of caliber of partner you like, cause they if it's gonna be me, mine have to be employed, right? So they've already like on their career path and all. So now the girls with it has changed the change. They, they well, that's what I'm saying. Oh, what well, I'm thinking, well, this is what I'm saying. saying. When I'm thinking about me and my parents' insurance, well, when I was at PB, okay. I was learning from them, but I was. Let me say, anybody still. R.I.P. It's a bad right. Oh, but you know what? A segue yeah. real quick, cause let me tell you something, baby. Another like, thing, Betty White has the anthem. She has them qualities. She man. do. Let me let me tell you agree with. Baby, Betty White <laughs> said a piece of men's better than man. Now let me tell you something, baby. This one right here. Let me tell you something, baby. Look. Oh, let me tell you something, baby. I can do bad all by myself. I'm serious. Like some people, but you know, like Mr. Charlie. Mr. Charlie is just a man, and he doing the best that he can, and that's the reason why you got. <laughs> <laughs> doing, doing whatever they can, doing a bad minimum in these relationships. But yeah, now nah, a piece of man better than no man at all. Man, please. Hey, that's okay. my whole anthem now. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, a piece of man. Now listen, I do understand. Um, what what did my friends they said? Shout out to Chuchi. R.I.P. Um, saying that I can understand. I can have a man if he may not be doing X, Y, Z in the bedroom, but long as he bringing home a chick. I'm good. Okay, I understand that. But your man going all upside your head, telling you you got to do this, to table dance for some money to buy some unmentionables or your items from, from certain eyes. I'm like, girl, is it really worth all that? Oh, but when the men did it to Twinkie, y'all thought it was okay. Because she, she was supposed to be the most famous one of the clocks, because y'all thought it was okay. Well, Twinkie. Oh, Twinkie. Was that the one who mama... No, that was the niece who husband pushed that mom on the stage. No, that was Twinkie husband. Twinkie. We gotta say that for the watch party. We gotta say that for the watch. Oh, okay, party. okay. Cool. My bad. My bad. <laughs> I just said I just wanted to put it out there. But yeah, nah. Uh-uh. But it is what it is. Can we segue to friendship boundaries and insecurity? Oh, so so <laughs> are we segue to so 
boundaries. I don't watch Insecure. I suck. Oh, my God. Okay, so side note, I didn't realize that I didn't watch none of season three, so I couldn't start season four today. Oh, okay. Mm. So the conversation is not about insecure. It's more so about boundary setting and friendships. Okay. Tell me more. So basically, what I love about insecure and the reason why I tied to that is because you had, well, y'all both seen at least season one, right? I've seen one mm-hmm. and two. Okay. So one, two, so Molly and Issa are going in it right now. They got some issues. And I love how insecure is addressing what goes on in friendships that's unsaid. How, how like stuff can be real toxic, but people be want to leave well enough alone, be trying to keep the peace. Come on, well enough. Listen, let's talk about it. Um, so then it brings up the, so y'all said friendship and boundaries. I'm like, bam, because what they going through is definitely dealing with boundaries and effective communication. But can I say this? I was saw a lot of things growing up. One of the things that I had saw and nobody ever just really just set me down um, like they did teach me about laundry, you know, or even somewhat according to day. No one ever really taught, and I don't see it even now, teaches you how to be a friend. Like you learn what you see on TV or what you observe from your parents or what you don't observe, but you really just trial and error. So the fact that we're talking about boundaries is important because we learn how to be friends just for the most part through trial and error. Or what we mimicking, what we seeing on TV. So how do you, how do we get to the point to a, especially while who's watching this, and you have kids, but not even kids, nephew, nieces, or if you are ish out of my voice and you have any young person around you, we need to have that conversation. We're talking about dating. We need to talk about what it is to be a real friend, because a lot of stuff that goes on that I once thought was okay is not okay in a friendship. Mm-hmm. And the two-way work in a friendship is it literally is a ship and the ship works that, you know, you're supposed to send stuff both ways mm-hmm. on a ship, right? It's just like when America trades stuff with Europe, if they send shit over there, Europe sends shit back. It's it's a trade. It's not, the ship shouldn't just keep coming in one direction full of product and keep coming back in, in the other direction empty. It's, it's, it's all about like Deposit, and I, I'm saying this to my friend when we was talking about this. Now, I'm big with, uh, I don't know if y'all have ever heard of the five love languages, right? Have y'all heard of that book? Mm-hmm. So, love language, well, you should. Uh, uh, we'll drop it down in the comments later on. But the, love, the five love languages basically saying, like, we all, like, somewhat have languages of love that we receive love and we like to give love. So, let's say, like, uh, physical touch. Maybe uh, either how you show love or how you receive love. Um, quality time, words of affirmation. Um, what's the other one? Uh, acts of service. All of it. So, because a lot of times, even in relationships and the same thing with friendships, we try to love someone the same way that we want to be loved. And I'm a firm believer. Um, not using that cliche term, treat people how you want to be treated. No, treat people the way they want to be treated. Because one may be okay for me, may not be okay for you. Like, you got some friends, like, if you grew up in a family, y'all communicate, fussing and cussing with each other. That's your norm. You don't feel no type of way when someone's communicating them like that with you. However, if I did not grow up with that, that offends me. So my thing is, we need to establish, again, in friendships and in relationships, what is effective communication. Because I may be trying to show you love, but that if you're not receiving love the same way that I'm showing it to you, then... I'm not showing you love the way that you need to be loved. I'm showing you how I think you should be loved. 
And I also think that one of the things about friendships is something that I've learned over time with a lot of my friendships is that friendships change. People change. You grow apart naturally. You come back together. Sometimes you grow apart and you stay apart. I've just, and I feel like it's this inclination of, nah, if we friends, we got to be bosom tight and we got to, people change. People, and also what people want in relationships change. Because I have friendships and I have relationships, you know, 20 plus years where there were years where we didn't speak at all because we, you know, or we didn't speak as much because we were doing different things and we, you know, needed different things from each other. And I feel like what, I think what, gets people so hung up is that change like you know you going left but then when the friendship starts to go right people don't know how to adjust or they think that well we I don't want to go right so it's a wrap um I definitely think that people don't know how to evolve relationships and change and communicate that change with people exactly I think what I a huge part of what both of y'all said is 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 very important and it's summed up in what Adana said when he said um treat people uh, the way that they want to be treated. But uh, 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 what I what I heard him say in that is that we need to teach people how to treat us, right? Mm -hmm. And so many times we don't teach people how to treat us. We leave it up to like chance or the thought of like maybe with us hanging out for X amount of time, hopefully you'll learn how to treat me and how we operate. And, and, and because of that, we'll start, our friendship will start moving and grooving simultaneously and all the years and things will start working, but that's not necessarily true. I remember when I moved to Las Vegas and I started working for Planned Parenthood, and I had a hard time by like, getting to um like just establishing a late a relationship with my immediate supervisor. Like he was such a jackass. And I was having a hard time trying to build a relationship with him. And I remember talking to like his supervisor, because like we all worked in like the same office, and I was just like, I was kind of cooler with her. And I was just like, I just don't understand, like we can't like get along or what the issue was. And she was like, well, have you ever like told him how to treat you or showed him how to treat you? And they're kind of like, wow, boom. Like, like what What do you mean? Like, have, have I told him like, no, like why he's like, shit, treat me like he treated everybody else. But in reality, I didn't want you to treat me like you treated everybody else because you still yelled at everybody else mm -hmm or talk to everybody else who was still your friends in kind of like a demeaning fashion. And that's not how the fuck I wanted you to talk to me. Well, yeah, some of them didn't have no, either A, they didn't have problem with it, or B, they just went on because of course, it's not effectively communicate. And do, I you all feel like, do you all feel like it's, one, is it hard for you to tell somebody how to treat you? And do you feel like it was something that you easily were able to do or do you feel like it was something that you had to learn over time well i'll say for me like in my family dynamic my parents were really i guess you could say kind of like new age when it came to parenting and they were very open with us and they allowed us to express ourselves and so they taught us how to effectively communicate like it wasn't google gaga as a kid it was tell me how you feel tell me what you need. And so even as like I got older, 
we were able to express ourselves. You know, like in some black households, they're taught like children should be quiet or they should stay in a, a child's place or they should be seen and not heard. Like that was not the norm in my household. And I appreciate that because now I'm an effective communicator. If something is wrong, I'm going to let you know. And I think that in my relationships, when I'm around folks, either romantically or friend-wise, and they don't know how to communicate, it pisses me off because as a young adult and as a child, I learned how to effectively communicate. I learned how to tell people what I needed, how I wanted it, and what I and what I expect out of you. And so if I don't receive that back, it frustrates me to no end. And so it kind of, it helped me, but it also kind of weakened me in a way too because I just assumed everybody learned that. Like I, I went into the world before I started doing like advocacy work and really learning folks, I really assumed that everybody just was taught this at home. Like everybody knew like how to say what they need or say what they wanted. But a lot of people, especially black and brown kids are not taught that. They're not taught to ask for what they need or they're not taught to express themselves or express their feelings or their emotions. And so when I get people that can't do that, it our relationships kind of struggle a little bit until I can be like, oh, well, you don't, you're not telling me. Oh, okay. You don't know how to effectively communicate. <laughs> um, uh, before we go on, so Darren, shout out to Darren, part of my Hogman project. He said, I think being a good friend is hard. Um, I agree. I think mm -hmm. we have to put in work for our friendships. Friendships serve one another. We have to learn what we need for friendships and to express. Gabe said, I was going to say, let's name Dawn. He said, that's, that's so important. People grow apart, but they can come back together with time. I can say this, um, what Monina said, because my mom was definitely, she definitely subscribed to a lot of old traditional stuff in own ways, but certain things she was um, a lot of new age with. Like, if we were mad, she said, you mad? And we can say yes or no. No, we couldn't do nothing about it, but we can definitely like verbalize it and say we're mad. What I try to tell people, again, back with relationships, all type of relationships, is that, well, first of all, people, we have to get to a point and understanding that as long as ego is not involved, confrontation is not a bad thing. If you're trying to work together to get to a goal because you learn when you build trust through like the little conflicts that you may have. Now it's it, you can be, you can disagree without being disagreeable. And I know we all we all aware of that. Um, however, and Monique, I was similar to you in certain situations. I'm thinking like, well, hey, we did this in my household. You did the same thing, so we should be on the same wavelength. And it wasn't until like I think I read like the five dysfunctions of a team. It made me realize like, wow, like there's a way. Is it's a difference between communicating and effective communicating, and what effective communication looks like to one person may be some different to another mm -hmm. and people just assume that you're supposed to be in this harmony this harmonious state if you for the most part if you had siblings growing up right and y'all had let's say whether y'all had the same mama daddy or y'all just y'all were raised the same same morals and values if you can have conflict with your sibling some of the people that you have the most dna with on this earth raised the same if y'all have conflict, what make you think that you're not gonna have conflict outside of that? Mm -hmm. So just a way of establishing it, but I think we need to definitely be able to verbalize, hey, instead of this whole onboard the culture, because oh, that hurts me. If you say I'm onboard, I'm bored. No, you oh. are bored. It's okay. You are a human. Say what bothers you. Because here's the thing: if you keep paying and paying and paying and paying and paying, something 
then you're going to have an abundance of all the stuff that you pay. And then when you're trying to cash in, you're going off over some stuff that you could have checked way back then. And I ain't saying that because I'll definitely say pick and choose your battles. However, come you definitely need to verbalize it. If it's wherever there is pain, there is a wound. If something make you say, ouch, inquire. Instead of going out, hey, let them know, hey, that kind of hurt my feelings. I felt this way. And be able to verbalize and find a root because I feel some type of way. No, baby, ask yourself because if you only feel some type of way, you can't explain it to the best of your ability other than I feel some type of way. How can you honestly think that you're effectively communicating with that person when you need, can you name, label the emotion that you're going through that you, that you had felt? So we definitely should definitely have those deal breakers in friendships. But then, what you said, it just triggered something in me. Because then is people aware of the different emotionalisms that they go through? Like when you think about, we're going back to mental health and we're talking about, you know, um, friendships and being able to express, are we always just that we're feeling? Do we even know what we're feeling emotionally? What we allow. Right, because I feel like that's a big a big portion of, of, of that, right? Mm -hmm. You go. <laughs> I saw this on Facebook, and I'm about trying to land chop this. It kicks me because it's so serious. But it was like somebody posted where um, I told my mom I was depressed, and she taught me to depress them damn dishes. Yep, I've heard that before in my own household. Yep, you know, and like seriously, like that stuff you hear in in black households, and your your child or your person, you can really be dealing with something you know what i'm saying there also was a poem that i read not too long ago about a young uh, elementary school kid who wrote it and was saying that how he went to school and he didn't have no school supplies or nothing but that was because the lights was off at home they didn't have no food they didn't have no water and then he got to school and the teacher yelled to him about a, pen a, a, a pencil a pencil but if you can share how you feel emotionally and you're so used to dealing with trauma and being pent up with all mm -hmm. of the, the traumas that we face as people, shit, it gets hard sometimes to even check into emotion. Because sometimes you, you might check into that emotion and might not be able to check out of it. And, and you know, I can definitely say this, and not definitely, because a lot of things are different specific to the Black experience, but I can definitely say a lot of people of color wear trauma and pain as badges of honor. Like, oh, I, I went through this, so you can do it. Like, no, no, that wasn't okay. Right. I went through this when I was your age. I had did this. I, they used to do this to me. No, that was not okay then. And I hate that that happened to you. Yeah, I hate that happened to you. But no, we're not going to operate in this false sense of harmony. And I know they say millennials are too in touch with their feelings, but no, there's a lot of trauma, and that's dealing with mental health. We're more aware of what mental health looks like now. And it's not okay. It's not okay for somebody to be yelling at you and screaming at you. Or, of course, we all have jobs that we have to do things that we may not like to do, but there's nothing wrong with someone inquiring with you, hey, well, what do, why are you telling me to do it this way? And it's not challenging the authority. You just want to understand it and say, well, hey, this is making me feel that because just because I have the time, because in my last job, you said, well, you had time to do this. So you said, you had time to do this. You to, maybe I might have the time, but do I have the capacity? And we need to really inquire that with people, honestly. I know for me, so I always, I 
I guess making new friendships, especially because, you know, as you get older, I'm like, a friendship to me is harder than a relationship and date. I feel like it's so much harder because I put so much into friendships. So I'm like, I mean, the meeting of the friend and how you bond and then build that relationship and build that trust and especially move into a new city. I feel like building friendships was harder than dating, even though both were hard. And one thing, I have a new friend now. And one thing that we put in place because me. You say friend, Jordan, do you mean friend or friend? So I'm going to say friend. Oh, okay, okay. I'm going to say friend. I'm going to say talking about friendships. So I'm going to say friend. But I wanted to say, I think that one thing that we practice, which me, I love conflicts. I don't care. I'm going to get into it with you. I'm going to tell you what I got to say. Because I've always been the type where, no, conflict is fine. But I know that all people don't like conflict. And I know how conflict can snowball. So one thing that we practice is never go to bed with conflict not resolved. So any argument, conflict, issue, it needs to be resolved by the time we're going to sleep. So tomorrow we can wake up and we can move forward. And that was hard for me because I can be one of them Black girls that be ready to argue today, tomorrow, and the next week on the same argument because I'm petty and I want to keep it going. But I think that that rule helped establish some healthy boundaries in our relationship because it showed that we're both willing to work on building a solid foundation to where we're not gonna let things fester. If it's an argument or we got some sort of dissent or conflict, let's get that solved by midnight so we can go to bed and then tomorrow is a new day and we can have the next argument. But I feel like me personally- We can have the next argument. <laughs> I like saying care confrontation. If it's somebody you care about, we can have that care confrontation because mm -hmm. we're again trying to come to a common goal. Do you say a care confrontation? Yeah, yes. care confrontation. Yes, because I mean, if you care about the person, care about your relationship, then you're gonna put forth the effort to make sure that we don't go over the same home. Because one thing I do not like, and my mom was definitely in the toys with it. Sometimes, because my mom was one of them moms that would say she was sorry, it wouldn't have just come to eat. However, she would apologize then still the same behavior. Exactly. And that's one of the babies. When I tell y'all, that's one of my work relationships. I love my mother too big, but yeah, we, I'm a five-time shit water style. So we we definitely always bumping heads. But just learning, again, I think, Joel, you said it earlier, by learning how to basically evolve the relationship, cultivate the relationship. And I think well, I didn't even realize that I got so used to seeing my mom, my aunts, my uncles in a child's eyes and adolescent's eyes that my relationship of how I interacted with them started to stop them. But once I became a man, like certain things that probably I was hesitant to do, I had to also check my own stuff and say, hey, there should be no reason why you should be hesitant to have certain conversations. Now, again, you can always be, you know, I'm a Southern gentleman, you can always be respectful when you do it, but you can definitely verbal, verbalize exactly, or at least come close to it when something's not okay and should not be afraid to do that with anyone. You gotta see, see what that looks like. But I'm also saying don't be just constantly nagging, like, cause everything, we gotta pick and choose our battles, y'all. That's what I feel. You know, we know what our deal breakers, we know certain things, like we got certain, nobody's 100% perfect, right? And we all got our 
If we all got our pain, Ooh, our issues, all if we all got pain. But what I'm saying is how we um operate with it and definitely because new edition had said storms will come. Everybody loves them, but baby, can you stand the rain? Wasn't Bobby Brown the head singer of New Edition? Nah, Bobby Brown was never the head singer of New Edition. Bobby Brown was the head singer of Bobby Brown. Hey, I'm a Bobby fan now. Oh, me too. Me too. Me too. I'm an 80s baby, 90s kid. The album. But yeah, but definitely knowing like friendships, and it's the same thing, like relationships, whatever type of relationship, but we specifically talking about friendships right now. That of course y'all gonna have come for y'all have y'all confrontation, but don't be so married to your ego or just like um oh I'm gonna get I'm gonna get the back wind of this but it, it, it is. said Bobby Brown was a lead vocal. I'm sure they probably did, but it, it, it was Johnny Gill and then it was Ralph. Did you see the movie? Oh Johnny Gill, I don't believe that. Not Johnny Gill, Gill, Johnny Gill, Johnny Gill. Just like, see, we getting outside. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, but um. We gonna put some respect on Bobby now. I love Bobby. Listen, Bobby, it, it, Bobby, it but Johnny wasn't in the group full time. No, nah, he wasn't. He wasn't. He he was one of the founding members. What were you saying? Uh oh, I forgot. I already thank y'all. Thank you, Garvey, for um, throwing me off my trip. But um, oh, so yeah, we just need to make sure that once we have we have those wow. moments, and just because you have a disagreement. You can fall out, but you can also fall back on. But understand, like, what are those deal breakers? I don't care who it is, relationship or friendship, baby. Don't put your hands on me. I'm not going to put my hands on you. That's my deal breaker. Anything, for the most part, outside of that, we can work through. So, Natasha said... Right. She said, when she was young, I knew something was going on with my mental health. I was having panic attacks and depressed. I came home and told mom, I think something's something's wrong. I think I'm depressed. She told me, girl, that's just a phase. Well, fast forward 25 years later, I'm still going through that phase, I guess. And again, like, you you can't heal... You can't, you can't, you're always going to bleed from wounds that have not healed. So sometimes, like, we need to do, it's not our, and I think everybody hurts, it's not our fault of whatever happened to us, but it's our responsibility to try to heal from it. We can keep blaming our mom and dad and everything we've been through, baby, at some time. And have y'all seen For Color Girls? I love quote stuff, if y'all ain't noticed by now. But did y'all, y'all remember, have y'all seen For Color Girls? I did. Mm-hmm. I Man, you did. Alistair. <laughs> Alistair. I'm a fan. I don't like that. <laughs> well, no, he didn't write the original. I like the book. Now, the book made me cry. I love the book, but that movie was ugh. But you know, it's an original movie of Four Color Girls that have Loretta Devine and Alfreda Woodard in it. I'm going to have to check that one out. I it love the book. But that mess that he did, I just, but, but that's neither here nor there. But uh, with that, what I was saying was um, the Felicia Richard's cat, I want to say Gilda, some who she played, went after the babies, like the men had dropped his kids outside the window and all that. And of course, you know, the mom was going through and she was blaming him, but she said, no, you got to take, you, you got to tell you, you say you got to be responsible for your part in this too. And then sometimes it's not about like a lot of people, um, they just want to argue and just to be right. Like it, like at what cost? You see what I'm saying? You up there, you done put all this energy, invested all this in, energy and combat against somebody just to say you were right. Like, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? 
like this I'm saying, pick and choose your battles. But I definitely do know this that for whatever situation that you you face, you have to be able to try to find some type of way of not to go over that hump again. Because if y'all just getting into it or if you just wait till everybody cool down and don't address it, baby, it's gonna keep happening again and again and again. Not long do ah you apologize for it, but definitely hey, what can we do so we don't end up back here? What would you say? I, I'm posing this question to everybody. What would you say is the biggest lesson on boundaries and friendships that you've learned in your early adult years or in your teenage years that you've taken into the now? I hate this because my mama got on my fucking nerves with this. Oh, but, but that's not a boundary. Okay, so. Well, it could be boundaries or friendships. Any any lesson? Oh, well, everybody's not your friend. Yeah, I know it's kind of vague, but you'll get this shit when the time right. So you're going to get on the way home. <laughs> Y'all going to get you in the food and shower tonight. Hmm, I'm thinking about that. What could I say? Um, I know for me, it's when somebody shows you who they are the first time, believe them. Don't wait to the fourth and fifth time. Because it's not when they show you who they are or you get that gut feeling, trust your gut and believe them. Um, I think mine is closed mouths don't get fed. Mm. Like you have to say what you want. You have to acknowledge what you want. You have to be uh, vocal about what it is that you need. I'm a huge, huge, huge proponent of say what you want. Because mm -hmm. no one is a mind reader unless you're a psychic or something. I can say this because it, it was a different things. I love Southern colloquialism. Um, Come on, Chloe. I love when I said you don't think fat me greasy about like thinking you don't think like the react. Sometimes you think you're the exception of the rule. No, like you need to take heed to whatever it is. Like you are not no different. Uh, I do remember, man, quoting again. Brownstone, they say, if you love me, show it, do it, prove it, say it. I don't care what a pair of lips say because definitely I do love the fact of hearing certain things however the action has to line up with it here and at this yeah at this at this point age like yes they talking about words words I mean no words matter to me as well as the actions that follow and vice versa you can't be saying that you you know you're doing all this stuff but you can't even tell the person how much you appreciate them like one one thing on my dead side film Nigerian side film for whatever reason and I made them say it when I had got up and spoke um, at my uncle's funeral that by actions, yes, we know we love one another, but we did not grow up on this side of the family saying, I love you to one another. I mean, if I look to your little right say, say, I love you. Like, you need to hear those words sometimes. Actions work well, but sometimes they should be accompanied by words. Words work well, they need to be accomplished. Huh? About to give me a start on Nigerian culture. Um, however, Definitely being able to allow ourselves to be vulnerable because I always trying to us when trauma as a badge of honor. Oh, I went through this. Like, no, sometimes let that go, man. Because if not, this gonna spend a generational cycle and you passing stuff on to your kids or these and nephews that don't need to be passed on. Mm -hmm. Like Natasha, she said, 
which is similar to, I forgot who said it, but she said she learned that not is your friend. You going in and out, Joel? Oh, she said that she learned that. Hold on, hold on. Is that better? Okay. She said she learned that not everyone is your friend and not everyone is going to like you and that that is okay. Right. Let's see. And sometimes I love the saying, like, eat the meat and spit out the bones, because sometimes you can get some of the best advice from people that you cannot stand. And my line, like, don't block the message just because you don't agree with the message, baby. Because some of those, those, those gems that they drop, you can apply that to your life. You ain't got to deal with that person, but definitely utilize, like, sometimes take the emotion out of things. Listen to what's being said. And even if you don't agree with the person, you can take heed, take, take heed to what they said and still apply it. Like, you can learn from anybody and everybody, whether it's what to do or what not to do. Like a lesson from that was that I learned was uh, rest her soul, one of my cousins, we was liking on the same guy and she told him my status. Mm-hmm. And I was so upset with her. Um, and we fell out and God rest her soul, she passed in a fire last year. But one thing I learned from her was the power of manifestation. Like everything in my life since then, since 2014, since she taught me about the secret and the power of manifestation, I've manifested everything that I've wanted so far. And I appreciate her for that. And although like we were really, I was really upset with her and I was really mad. Like I even told her, like even after I stopped being upset with her about it, like I appreciate you for the lesson. Like I appreciate you being in my life for that moment and for teaching me about that. So sometimes you really do have to take from people the good that they bring in your life and take, take the lesson take the lesson and move on because sometimes they're everybody's meant to be in your life for a reason yeah and I always tell my little sister like you want folks in your life for a reason like everybody should be beneficial to your life if they're not beneficial to you whether you can call them on the phone and talk to them whether you can uh vent to them whether you can ask them you know for a couple dollars every now and then and they can ask you for a couple dollars everybody in your life should be in your life for a reason nobody in your life should be there taking up space and that's just really how i see the world like i really see it like that that's just me yep it makes sense it makes a lot of sense so bombs i really want y'all to watch insecure so y'all can get caught up so we can talk about it. i'm gonna have to catch up yes and then all of them i said we could we weren't talking about hollywood save for the watch for <laughs> Oh yeah, we gotta say that for the for our watch party, watch club that we're starting. Yeah. But yeah, Vern said we can start letting y'all know that we're watching. So yes, we're gonna start for the watch party. We have some shows to watch. I definitely recommend Hollywood. I can just say overall, it was a feel-good movie. I enjoyed it. It was some things that of course I would have changed. However, it's on like, Netflix. Yes, oh my it's Ryan Murphy, but I'm not gonna lie. Like, but towards the end, I was saying thug tears. I didn't realize because it. it was just, yeah, I just want y'all to watch it. I'm like, was it more of a tear jerker than Queen and Slim? Because I was crying in the theater on Queen and Slim. I, I still like I ain't gonna Queen lie. Slim. I ain't gonna lie. No, it's nothing like Queen and Slim. No, I had to watch Queen and Slim. I need but to the watch. lady next to me, y'all, was boohooing. Like, when I say boohooing, like, 
you would have thought her granddaddy died. Like I she was, was like balling and in Queen and Slim. I have never cried as much in a movie. I mean, lashes was I was scared that was gonna come off. I was crying. Yeah, I was crying. I ain't gonna lie. I was crying in the theater. I was, I was crying. Like, I was embarrassed. I mean, I was, and I was the only one that wasn't with anybody in the theater. And I, people was looking at me. I was crying so hard. Oh, poor baby. That ending was, well, I couldn't. I, that, okay. I bought the okay. DVD and can't even watch it because of the ending. Wow. Okay. I'm never going to rewatch it. I can't rewatch it. You know how you could buy something? Or you want to support an artist? I want to support it and buy it, and you know, and have it. But I don't want to watch it no more. It was trauma. It was oh my god, it was too much trauma. They had movies like this. Oh yeah, before we end, like what movies? So y'all, you say Queenie? What are some movies that y'all only watch once and can't watch again, or will not watch again? Because for me, it's precious. I cannot watch it. I've never seen like, even me and my, even though me and my mom, like, don't get me wrong, we don't have, like, this whole much relationship. We're just learning how to, um, a new relationship of how to deal with each other as adults, and everybody understands what that looks like. But to, for me to see somebody's mother treat them that way, that scene, once she, Prince was running down the stairs, and then she had fell, and then, like, she had got up minutes before that TV, like, seconds before the TV, you know, I can't watch that. Like, that, something about that, it was just like, wow. I can't see you doing it to anybody A that came from you or B like somebody you say you love, like, ooh, yeah, I can't watch it. As a fat black girl, that movie is traumatic. I can't watch it. I'm good. Did, have you ever watched it once? Yeah, I, I watched it once. I'm I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -mm. yeah. Now definitely Monique did her thing in that. But yeah, I can't I can't watch it. I can't watch it again. I will not watch it. What about you, Ron? What movie can you not watch again? So, you know, I bought the movie Detroit and never watched it. I've never seen it. Mm. I bought it and never watched it. But I think, so, um, I would say, not really a movie, but a docuseries, uh, When They See Us. Never seen it. Ne we'll never watch I it. I can't see it. I can't see it. I like, I never watched, the one time I watched it was like, I'm glad I watched it. It was an experience. Learned a lot. Never watch it again. Yeah. Mm -mm. No shade. Yeah. I watched Seven Seconds with Regina King, and I can't watch. I will never, I'll never watch that again. Really? But they took, you know, they gave us one season of that, and they said it was it got really good ratings, and they was like they canceled it. Good. I will never watch it again. It was good, but uh. -uh. Like, it was just a lot. Um, I still haven't seen when they see us or Detroit because I was like, I've heard so many different things. I want to watch it just so I can be aware. But yeah, it's just certain things again, like Joy said earlier, like it's a, it's enough of that out there that you don't have to like keep feeding it. Like, I can read a synopsis about what it's about, but you gotta know what your triggers are. Mm -hmm. You gotta know what your triggers are. And every time I was like, damn, I really want to watch this. Nah, and I don't really been... like slave movies. Like, uh, I forgot the sl those slave movies. I, I can't. Oh, yeah. I've, yeah. Never seen like slave. I've never seen that made movie with Viola. Day. I just, I don't like stuff like that. I don't like trauma porn. I don't like that traumatic historical, like, why does that always have to be the narrative? Like, I, if I yeah. watch one, I'm not watching 
Yeah, that was the last movie my dad and I went to go see <laughs> in the movies in general. I, it's certain movies. Now, I'm one of the people who do like those slave movies. I do. Um, I know a lot of people that, that do not watch or won't watch them. I don't mind. I like Django. I've never seen Django. But was that a slave movie, though? It, it was. It was. Was it? Now, I saw, what was that other point? I saw The Hateful Eight, that Quentin Tarantino movie. Oh, that I never seen it. I can't, I don't know if I could watch it. I have it. to turn it out. That shit was crazy. I mean, that was a difficult watch because it was, that was a lot. That was a lot. What about, do y'all have any? I had to see Harriet. I had to see Harriet. I, I didn't watch that. I haven't seen it yet. So, what about the reverse of that? Are there certain movies that you know gonna make you cry, make you feel some type of way, but you still will watch it over and over again? I think I got at least a good two or two or three movies like that. Losing the Isaiah. Co- Isaiah, really. The Color Purple. I've only saw the Color Purple one. I've never. That's seen. my show. I'm sorry. I love. What? It. you said you never seen. You only saw it once. I've seen it once. I cried. I went through the experience, but I was like, yeah, I can't watch that again. I don't, because I don't like, like, like I, yeah, I loved it, but I was like, I don't think I can experience that again. It's just, I, I, yeah, I don't think I can experience that again. I'm I think I'm going to put that on when we get off of here. So I'm a weird type of movie watcher. Like, I watch, like, Batman and, like, Beetlejuice, and I'm very, like, escapist. Um, but I love. I also love losing Isaiah. I will watch that multiple times because that was Holly Berry's best era of movies. Um, oh, what know, movie that make that y'all also, cry? You know, a movie that I saw What's one time and I never watch again, but love it. Oh yeah, no, I'm not. Watching mm, it. I ain't like it. I ain't watching. <laughs> so I read the novel and then I saw the movie. Well, I watched the movie and then I read the novel and I was like, oh, the no- the movie didn't do the novel justice. And no they say it's like the, but yeah, I don't know. Oh, I'm about to say that. Oh not my god, the, not the what black version. Is, no, not listen, the, not the black. Wait, that's all I'm gonna say is now. Nah. <laughs> that's what I move. I don't care. And that's what made me love selling feel. Baby, oh, maybe terms of endearment. Maybe terms of endearment. Okay, I'll watch that and cry. Yeah, you know, like selling feel every time after Shelby die. I'm sorry, it's a spoiler. So if you ain't seen it yet, baby, it, it was around before I was around. So, <laughs> so you had all this time to watch. All this time to watch. Every time she, <laughs> she do that monologue about that funeral scene. Oh my God, that made, I, I tell every time. Yeah. Still Magnolia, not the black version though. Cause they and not my thing was that the black version had an amazing cast, mm-hmm. but they just if they would have just stuck to the script of the movie, it probably would have been something. It but they did TV It was unnecessary. It was just very unnecessary. Some places, you know, oh, women of the Brewster place. I watched that over and over again. Nobody, yeah, I've been having my moments from when the wait, Marnie, have you seen it? What have, have I seen? What women of the Brewster place? Mm-mm. So that seemed like that would be up your end. Yeah, you need to watch. Let me tell you something. What's it called now? Women of the Brewster's place. Women of the Brewster's place. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna watch it tonight. That seemed like that would have been up your alley. Um, a movie that 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 just seemed like that. That was the first. I'm gonna watch it tonight because you know I ain't got nothing else to do. See, that's the first black, 
queer representation that I ever saw on TV. I'm so shocked that you even said to see what that. But you want to know what? Growing up, my mother is not a TV watcher, mm-hmm. and then my dad does not like movies. So mm-hmm. as someone who like like I'm just now I saw I set it off like four years ago Ooh. I'm just not seeing Don't Be a Menace like all the like quintessential black movies like I didn't grow up seeing it like I cannot see BET and MTV till I was like 13, 14 oh, like Timothy he liked this yeah. my parents were really strict and then my mama was a teacher so she was at home when I was at home so yeah. it's a lot of stuff that I couldn't see so you know, well, I have a movie. I don't know if everybody's seen it. It's a tearjerker for me. But it's Leaving Las Vegas with Nicolas Cage and Elizabeth Shue. I've never seen it. With the baby? <laughs> it's about, so Nicolas Cage is an alcoholic who is based on a true story. It's about this screenwriter who is an alcoholic who decides he's going to kill himself by drinking himself to death. <laughs> and he meets Elizabeth Shue, who's a prostitute. And he, they have a love, it's a love story, but it's like the anti-love story. Cause he, t- you know, it's basically like he tells her he'll be with her, but she can never stop him from drinking cause he wants to kill himself. And it's basically is, it's a, it's a hard watch. Now that's a movie. It makes me cry every time I watch it, but I'll watch it. Cause it's, it's one of the more, to me, flawed love stories. So, cause I don't like cheesy love stories. I like, Flawed ones. I like the realistic ones. So. Yeah. What's oh I I probably even though I seen it as a kid, I probably I don't want to watch it again. Um I don't know if y'all saw it, but my girl I love that movie. I with but with my Monina, Monina, oh, see it, I can tell by her reaction. Oh girl, it's on Netflix. <laughs> my girl. Oh, good. My girl with my thing with Noah. That should be one of my movies. The back of the thing. Oh, it was so sad. I can't, yeah, that's one of the ones I can't watch. I got a nostalgic black movie for y'all. Don't be a menace while drinking your juice in the hood. Now that's my movie. Yeah. That is his name. If he can't hang, he got to get out the game. Get out the game. Get out the game. (laughs) Uh, Well, a movie that's a tear, not, it's not necessarily a tearjerker, but it hits me more the older I get, it's Eve's body. Oh, Oh, come on, little pineapple thief. I gotta watch it again as an adult. Cause I saw it as a kid. Is yeah, it was yeah. I gotta watch it again as an adult. Come on, just find it. I'm trying to see any of the black movies. It just is like. Let me see. I have 300 movies in front of. But yeah, like the color purple definitely. It's it's just one. And then when you watch it, when I watch it as an adult version as a kid, we were laughing at certain scenes. But it's like, damn, all this stuff that Taylor had endured. It was like, wow, it was a lot. Oh, you said about on color purple. Yes, the acting is phenomenal. Like they cast everything. I love it. 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 I watched that movie so many times. It's ridiculous. I got. It. I ain't seen it. While. I may just watch it again. I had it on tape. Now I got it on DVD. Going and going on. We just going and going on the show. Oh, I forgot we're still alive. And these people. Thank y'all who are still there with us. Y'all just seeing this. <laughs> We was making good time, and then we just went. We just we started the watch club early. Yo, that's what it is. But um, that's just a preview of what's coming. It is. It is. So we're gonna close out on what um, stigma and misogyny. remarks. So well, we want to thank everybody that joined us for the episode three of In Living Color. Um, make sure to. 
follow, like, subscribe, comment, share, not only um, our personal pages, but more importantly, the Mahogany Projects Inc., our Facebook at Mahogany Project Inc., um, our Instagram. Make sure that if you can, with these uncertain and difficult times, if you can contribute and support any donations that you make towards our organization, they go right back into the community because that's what this is all for. Um, I, I'm just, go ahead. I'm Bernice McFarlane. I'm Adali Dorleen. I'm Marnina the Queen. And I'm Joelle, the hostess with the mostest. And the uh, <laughs> for today, we want to thank you all again for joining and Hit us up. Are we going to be next Wednesday or the following Wednesday? Are we still following on? Wednesday? Okay. So we're going to be bi-weekly. So the next... I mean, if we do it next Wednesday, it will put us back on track. We'll, we'll see. We'll talk about this. We'll play it by ear. But yeah. thank you we'll, all. Don't call us. We'll call y'all. <laughs> <laughs> come back now, you hear? But definitely come back now. You hear? All right. Bye. Bye, y'all. Bye.